Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello all you magical people out there and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm your host Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are doing Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady. As we left off, Professor Lupin's defense against the dark arts class is quickly becoming everyone's favorite. Everyone except Draco Malfoy and his gang. Draco puts Lupin down because of the state of his robes and his shabby appearance. He even whispers very loudly that Lupin dresses like his old house elf. Much like his and his father's problems with the Weasleys, Draco is projecting some kind of disgust at Lupin because he appears poor. Can you discuss this attitude and his treatment? Mm, what a great question. Thank you so much for asking that. I think, you know, I know we've talked about this feeling of otherness, but I think there's more to it here. I wonder if there's also fear. You know, I think that Draco has a lot of different fears. One of them is not being the favorite, right? Being humiliated, not being the best at something. Maybe at least in part because his father, Lucius Malfoy, is so strict to where he essentially shames Malfoy that you were beaten by a muggle. Of course, he uses the other word, the bad word. And so Draco is already constantly being shamed by his father if he's not the best. So I think that there's this fear of being shamed, fear of not being the best, fear of maybe falling from grace. But I also think there might be a fear of being like Lupin. Some people who are, for example, privileged like the Malfoys might look at other people, people that are maybe underprivileged like Lupin, with disgust, not only because they're lacking humanity and compassion toward them, but also I think because they're afraid of becoming underprivileged, of not having finances, of not having certain resources or stability. The Malfoys are being investigated by the ministry. I think there are probably some fears and 
maybe concerns about potentially losing certain privileges that the Malfoys have. And I think also there's this lack of ability of seeing other people as human. I might have mentioned this study before. It was run by Susan Fisk. In this particular study, participants were brought into the lab and put into the MRI, and they were shown images of different kinds of people. And when they were shown images of people that they view as different, especially people that they might stigmatize, for example, homeless individuals or people with addiction problems or individuals who had been incarcerated, they had this disgust kind of a reaction in their neural activity. They failed to see these individuals as human. And I think maybe that's what's going on here with Draco failing to see people who are muggle-born or who are underprivileged as human. I think that's where some of his disdain and disgust might come from. What we know too is that finding something in common with another person, for example, recognizing, hey, just like me, you might also, let's say, like apples or maybe pumpkin juice, right, or butterbeer, having that recognition of common humanity, of what people have in common, restores humanization and allows individuals to then be compassionate toward others. I think Draco maybe fears that kind of humanization because I don't think he wants to see others as similar to him because I think by seeing others as different, it makes him think that he is superior, which maybe gives him a self-esteem boost, but in a really unhealthy, bullying kind of a way. Mm. It's very interesting. So there is a dark, intense air in Snape's potion class. News of Neville's Bogart changing into Snape and wearing Neville's grandma's clothes spread through the school like wildfire and eventually got to Snape himself. Snape is on the warpath and he is treating Neville horribly. Even though Snape has these moments of villainy, this situation must be really embarrassing and insulting for him. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I think that's probably valid that he probably feels embarrassed. And I think from what we learn about him in subsequent books, we know that Snape had been bullied, right? And when he was a student. And so sometimes, not always, but sometimes people that are abused and bullies might become abusers and bullies themselves. That's what happened to Snape. And I think that being made fun of then made him maybe feel insignificant again. I might have brought up memories of when he was being bullied himself. It's really unfortunate because Snape resorts to bullying behavior to raise his self-esteem, kind of like how Draco does. Mm -hmm. His retaliation then is to make Neville's life even more miserable. As we know, this cycle is very toxic and the more it continues, the worst the bully actually ends up feeling about themselves and so it doesn't help it just escalates the situation and the only way that people can actually feel better about themselves is by creating some kind of peace hmm. it's a vicious little cycle huh until it ends <laughs> yeah so after buckbeak's attack on draco hagrid has little confidence left the care of magical creatures class has now just kind of taken a dive. He only involves caring for harmless creatures like flubberworms 
and trying to keep them overly safe, being very safe about what he introduces to his class. This got me thinking about how one perceived failure can drain someone's motivation and drive at something they're passionate about. Can you speak on this response to failure? Yeah, great question. Thank you. I think a lot of times we might see things in very black and white kind of terms and in like all or nothing kind of terms, I should say. I think that there's an assumption that if something didn't go the way that we had wanted or anticipated, that we need to change everything. For example, if somebody is doing some kind of a health plan and it didn't work, for example, if somebody's trying to do some kind of a health plan, let's say they're working on an exercise regimen and maybe they skip the gym for a week, they might then believe that they're a failure and they should just give up altogether. And yet this kind of self-shaming mode only makes us feel worse about ourselves and doesn't give us the ability to reset and restart. We see the same thing that happens to, for example, college students when they're procrastinating on like a paper, for example, or maybe didn't attend a class or two, then there's this assumed thought of, well, now I'm never going to catch up, I'm a failure, and then people start beating themselves up, sometimes creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. But what we know is that the opposite works too. When people are able to say, hey, look, this was a setback, maybe it didn't quite work out the way I wanted to, but I can come back tomorrow and I can try again and I can keep going. It actually allows us to learn from what happened and have much better results. Anyone who's ever played video games, for example, knows you can't level up having just played once, at least not usually, right? <laughs> when we play a video game, Oftentimes, we might lose, for example, we might have to redo that particular level over and over and over again until finally we're able to level up. In Harry's case, there are numerous times when he might not succeed in Quidditch, for example, whether it's during practice or sometimes during games. And the idea is that you learn. And I think for Hagrid, it was really hard because of what happened to him when he himself was a Hogwarts student. Mm. When he was accused of having opened the Chamber of Secrets and kicked out of Hogwarts and had his wand snapped in half. He never got a chance to complete his education. He was punished for something he didn't do. And so understandably, he's now terrified of doing something wrong. Being given the chance to be a teacher, I think had meant so much to him. But it's also understandable that there's a fear that if I do something wrong, I will be punished severely again, and I will have this thing that means so much to me taken away from me. So given how traumatized he was, similar to people that, you know, maybe had been arrested for a crime they didn't commit, for example, mm -hmm. or otherwise unfairly punished for something they didn't do, he, I think, is understandably scared of being mistreated again. Do you think some of this is the fraud syndrome? Um, I think that, yeah, the fraud syndrome or the imposter syndrome might might be playing a part here too. We know that he was really nervous about his first day, right? He was kind of sweaty and was asking Harry and Ron and Hermione how he was doing as a teacher. And so for any of you who don't know, the imposter syndrome tells us that we're not good enough, that we don't know what we're doing. And it makes us believe that we're the only ones who think that way. But the truth is 70% of people have the imposter syndrome. 
70% of people think that they're not good enough, even though they are. And the imposter syndrome doesn't go away when we succeed. So it's not true that the more educated or successful or experienced somebody is, the less of an imposter they feel. A lot of times, actually, the opposite happens. The more we learn and grow and the more successful we might be, the more of an imposter we might feel. So Hagrid actually is extremely knowledgeable in caring for magical creatures. It's what he had been doing for what, almost 50 years <laughs> or over 50 years, I should say, at Hogwarts. And so he definitely knows what he's doing. And yet I think that being presented with this wonderful opportunity can really trigger someone's imposter syndrome to quite a large degree. Halloween is approaching and as it approaches, all of the third years are anticipating the school visit to Hogsmeade. Everyone except Harry. Now, remember, these visits to Hogsmeade Village are a privilege. Should your behavior reflect poorly on the school in any way, that privilege shall not be extended again. No permission form signed, no visiting the village. That's the rule, Potter. All those with permission follow me. Those without, they put... But, Professor, I thought if you signed it, then I could I go. can't. Only a parent or a guardian can sign. Since I am neither, it would be inappropriate. I'm sorry, Potter. That's my final word. Forget about it, guys. See you later. Regardless of McGonagall's reasons to keep Harry within the safe confines of Hogwarts, it must feel like a rejection. How do you think Harry is feeling right now? I think even more so than the rejection, I think it probably feels like exclusion. And exclusion is something he felt his whole life with the Dursleys, right? They wouldn't invite him to certain trips, or if they did, he would be treated differently. He would get just the leftover ice cream, for example, from whatever Dudley didn't want. He was excluded from Dudley's friend groups and Dursleys would sometimes even hide him when they had visitors. And so this is not an unfamiliar feeling. And I imagine that it's probably quite traumatic for him. In the Dursley family, he expected to be excluded but I think when it comes to his friends, Hogwarts is his home. Mm -hmm. It's his safe zone. And so I think that for him, it's probably so incredibly painful to be excluded from the group of people that he has found to connect with as a family. Yeah, I feel bad for Huey. I know. <laughs> While Harry's all by himself at Hogwarts, pretty much, he's walking around and he stumbles into Lupin. Harry confronts Lupin as to why he didn't allow him to face the boggart in class. Professor, can I ask you something? You want to know why I stopped you facing that boggart? Yes? I would have thought it would be obvious. I assumed it would take the shape of Lord Voldemort. I did think of Voldemort at first. But then I remembered that night on the train, and the Dementor. Well, I'm very impressed. That suggests that what you fear the most is fear itself. This is very wise. What do you think about this observation? I think it's really wise, actually, because I think that for many of us, our trauma lives in our body. Even when we're not cognitively thinking of a particular trauma memory, or in case of Harry, for example, when we were too young to remember it, or when we might have suppressed certain parts of our trauma, we still feel it in the body, sometimes to the point of feeling sick. 
I think that although Voldemort is this murderous, terrifying being, the Dementor is what activates Harry's trauma memories in his body, which is why it makes him so sick, why it affects him the way that it does. Before I fainted, I heard something. A woman screaming. Our Dementors force us to relive our very worst memories. Our pain becomes their power. And so I think that Lupin's statement that what we fear most is our fear is really wise because it's the fear itself to a particular trigger or to a particular memory that activates that fight, flight, freeze mode in our body. And so it makes sense that in Harry's situation, it's what would make him feel most frightened. It makes sense that his boggard would take shape of a Dementor. Mm-hmm. Ron and Hermione come back from Hogsmeade with these like permagrins. They're very happy. They had a great time. They also brought back a bunch of candy that they bought for Harry. Could this be the result of guilt for being able to go when Harry couldn't? I imagine. I imagine that guilt might have been a part of it. I also imagine it's possible that it was a compassionate response, right? They felt sad for him that he couldn't come, so they wanted to do something kind to let him know that they're thinking about him. And also that's what friends do. When someone's not feeling well, for example, we try to bring them some kind of a treat or, you know, Mm -hmm. soup, for example. Or, you know, if somebody's having a tough day, maybe we'll bring them some candy. And so I think that this was a really compassionate thing to do. I do imagine they probably felt bad for him. And whether it's a result of guilt or not, I do think that compassion was a big part of it. They might have had a little bit of hesitation telling him how awesome of a time they had too, right? (laughs) Just to spare him some of the poor feelings there. But as the Gryffindors return to the common room, the fat lady is no longer in her portrait and the students are locked out of Gryffindor Tower. What's going on? I've probably never forgotten the password again. Hey! Oh! Uh, Let me prove these. Excuse me, I'm head boy! back, all of you. No one is to enter this dormitory until it has been fully searched. But that lady, she's gone. So is her eye. She was a terrible saint. Not funny, one. Dumbledore is notified and issues a school-wide search for the fat lady in all the portraits. Mr. Filch, round up the ghosts. Tell them to search every painting in the castle to find the fat lady. There's no need for ghosts, Professor. That lady's there. Dear lady, who did this to you? <laughs> oh, he's like the devil. He's not. He's got a soul dark as his name. It's him, Hitmaster. The one they all talk about. He's here, somewhere in the castle. Sirius Black! <laughs> You're in the castle, Mr. Jones. The rest of you, in the Great Hall. Knowing that Sirius Black got into Hogwarts would bring on some serious anxiety, don't you think? First of all, yes, I do think that, you know, this person that everyone believes to be a murderous, horrific, you know, heartless individual would understandably traumatize and scare everyone. But I also wanted to talk about something else. I very much love the Harry Potter series. As we mentioned before, I don't agree with the author's statements and views on certain 
subjects. So, for example, transphobia being one of them, I very much support trans rights. And I also think that in the series, we also see examples of something called fatphobia. Fatphobia refers to individuals maybe either being afraid of gaining weight themselves or kind of like how we talked about that disgust response, a dehumanization response to people that are seen as other. The way that Draco views Lupin, perhaps as maybe having a fear of being someone that is underprivileged, sometimes people might view individuals who are, for example, overweight as less than human because there might be a fear that they might also gain weight themselves. First of all, I think that fedphobia is extremely toxic. I think that people's bodies are what they are. I think people's bodies are a work of art. And whether an individual is of one weight or another weight, I don't think it should matter. I also know that unfortunately, a lot of people are bullied and shamed for their weight. I was, but in middle school, certainly not as much as I've seen a lot of other individuals. And it's heartbreaking. There are people of all body types that unfortunately sometimes starve themselves, sometimes to death. The assumption is if an individual is overweight or what society might consider overweight, the assumption is that it's because they're eating unhealthy, but that's not true. Just like hair color and eye color and skin color, our body types are all different. Sometimes an individual that on the BMI scale is seen as overweight or obese might actually be a very healthy person who eats healthy and exercises. And sometimes in some extreme cases, unfortunately, might be somebody that is actually anorexic and is starving and might end up dying from an eating disorder. And what I really object to is individuals being defined by their physical attributes, especially by their weight, because it has been used as something to shame people over. I think that in this case, you know, she was an opera singer, so she could have been called the opera lady or she could have been called by her name. We don't even know her name. But she is forever known as the fat lady. And to me, that's really heartbreaking because I think that individuals should not be known by their attribute. They should be known as their names or maybe something that they stand for, for example, or maybe by their talents, like, you know, again, singing in her case, for example. That passage had always made me uncomfortable. But, you know, reviewing this chapter now really made me reflect on this fat phobia message in these series where, for example, Dudley and Vernon, who are awful, abusive characters, are also described as being overweight, but in a rather like grotesque kind of way mm-hmm. that's meant to elicit disgust in the reader. And it's really unfortunate because I think it creates more of fat shaming attitudes in readers or maybe internalized fat shaming, which is really dangerous because when we start to fat shame ourselves, we might engage in unhealthy eating behaviors which can sometimes lead to death. So I really wanted to speak about this because I think that it's really important to acknowledge that fat phobia exists, not just in the series, but in the world. And to really talk about the importance of body positivity, the importance of self-acceptance, and also the importance of not characterizing people based on their appearance. 
I'm actually really glad that you had this discussion and talked about this. Right at the beginning, I felt a little uncomfortable when I said the title, and I wanted to address it then, but I just went into the podcast, you know. Every time I was saying it, there was this tinge of almost guilt. I don't know. I didn't like the way it felt, just calling someone a fat lady. And it brought back something, too. When I was in high school, I had a drama teacher, and she actually got a part in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called Total Recall. Mm -hmm. And in that movie, her character was the fat lady. And it was uncomfortable, (laughs) even back then, Mm -hmm. because they have names, just like you said. Or they could be called the opera lady or something like that. There's no need for a derogatory thing because then it puts them into a position where they're less than or there's something. And I also want to be careful. I, I don't actually think the word fat should be derogatory. Everyone has the right to choose whatever word they want to use. But I know a lot of individuals are actually saying that they like to use the word fat as a description of themselves in terms of not having it be a derogatory word. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, a number of individuals who are really prominent voices in both the LGBT and the anti-fat phobia movement, kind of the health movement, say that in a similar way as the word gay used to mean something bad, originally the word gay actually just meant happy. And then sometimes individuals use it in a really derogatory way. The word itself should not be a derogatory word. And so for a lot of individuals in the LGBT community, when they say that they're gay, it's something, it's a matter of pride. And in a similar way, some individuals anyway say that, you know, for example, like they might say, I'm a fat person and this is who I am. It doesn't define me, right? Like I am somebody that, for example, like likes to dance, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they might define themselves in different ways. But so for a lot of folks, the word fat is not a derogatory word. And for some it is. And I think we need to be respectful of people's choices about what this particular word means to them. I don't think this word needs to be derogatory. I don't think anyone should be called it as an insult. And I think if some people identify it with it, that's great. If some people don't, if that word it feels inappropriate or triggering, then that's perfectly fine. I think we should be able to define who we are. And I also don't think that people's appearance should define who they are. Thank you so much for bringing all that up. That was very important for us to discuss. We're going to go ahead and end this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag HarryPotterTherapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind and have a great day. The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.